one of my friend actually one day I was just sitting down with him and like I, I really wish I can close these two companies and he's like you know let's open up your the dashboard to manage your servers and, and domain and he's like let's just delete it <laughs> just like that just like that welcome to enoughness my name is Lisa Wang national champion and hall of fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur this is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Today on the show, we have AJ Yadav. He's the founder and CEO of Rumi, a peer-to-peer marketplace that helps people find the right roommates. His service debuted in New York in 2015 and is now listing rooms in over 20 cities. He's an expert on the sharing economy and the millennial mindset and is a regular contributor to the Forbes 30 Under 30 Network, Inc. 42, Huffington Post, and he himself is an inductee into the 2017 class of Forbes 30 Under 30. AJ's story is one of hard work, hustle, persistence in the face of rejection. And on today's show, we explore what it means to be an entrepreneur who is, yes, constantly in his head, but that realization of just how important it is to foster meaningful connections and the people around you as you're growing your business to keep you sane. So AJ, when I first met you a couple years ago, we were both in the throes of our first startups and you wowed me when you told me that in order to get funding, you pitched close to 350 investors and got hundreds of direct rejections before finally closing the deal. I'm so interested in digging more into that, but before that, I want to start with understanding where you came from. Yeah, um, so I grew up in India. I moved here roughly 12 years ago from New Delhi to New York. I stayed in Pennsylvania for like six months, but I have been in New York forever. And um, I did my computer science undergrad. I never finished college, not on purpose, <laughs> but um, I think I had a choice to pay the money or just to just do what I love and to start companies. I've had two small businesses in the past. What did they um, do? So my first one, I was 17 when I moved to New York. And one of my buddies asked me, can you build a website? Coming from India, of course, <laughs> computer science, yes. Uh, I built the first website and made two grand. And that, those like $2,000, it, it was just a lot, a lot of money for me the first time seeing that money. And I went back home that summer and I was like, let's start a dev shop in India. So I ended up building over 200 websites from six pages or five pages to a full-blown project. In like, how, many, how many years? Uh, two years. Mm-hmm and uh, managed a team of 35 people. I was 19. Wow. I was itching to do more and to try new ideas and uh, build several websites. But one of, that, one of the ones that worked out was a copy of Craigslist in India. And I think I was trying to build Airbnb maybe, and <laughs> building a classifieds business, like, a, like an online classifieds. And I ran that company for roughly three years. And... Um, we grew that company over just over half a million hits a month and made money by selling uh, sponsored ads. So let's say you search Packers and Movers or local services in your area, let's say New Delhi or Mumbai, then people will pay us to be in the top. So how like many, Google search results. How many visitors to the website were you getting at that point? Over half a million uh, a month. So it was good. 
and uh, now working on Rumi. So tell me what happened after. So you were selling these these uh, ads on this Craigslist-like website. How did you get from India to the U.S.? Like, what happened in that interim period? Um, India to U.S. So um, I failed my high school twice, <laughs> and. I remember my dad, he was tired of me like failing in high school in India. And, um, and he actually, um, he told me that if I pass the third time, I'll send you to America mm-hmm. <laughs> as a deal. <laughs> you know, I worked hard, studied, and uh, I passed. And that's how I actually um, came to America. What happened to that company? Uh, those two companies um, that I started after moving to New York, um, they were like, I would call them small businesses. I had no idea what a startup is and I had no idea that actually you can raise money. I wish I knew I would have actually made a lot of money and raised a lot of money. But in 2010, one of my lung collapsed and uh, I was in New York and spontaneous uh, pneumothorax. Like, I mean, no one knows why it happened. Mm. And um, so I was in bed rest, I was in hospital for a month. And you had uh, been healthy up to that point. Yeah, it was all good, never smoked, mm. <laughs> nothing happened. And that was a time when I realized that maybe it's time to let it go. The two businesses I had, because I, I didn't travel to India uh, for roughly five years after that, that incident. And not going back means how do you manage a company remotely? I didn't, uh, but I, ha- I was also like visiting at least four to five times a year. And if I can't go back and work with my employees, I think it was really hard to manage. So I had to let it go. And, um, shut down both the businesses and uh, just focus in the U.S. How did you feel at that point? You're in, you're in bed with a collapsed lung, <laughs> thinking about the demise of your two companies. What, what's, how are you feeling? Um, I, I tried to save them. I think um, I thought I can do it. Maybe I can just like maybe take a break, go back to it. I, I think it was just super hard. And uh, one of my friend actually, one day I was just sitting down with him and like, I, I really wish I can close these two companies. And he's like, you know, let's open up your, 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 the, the dashboard to manage your servers and, and domain. And he's like, let's just delete it. <laughs> <laughs> just like that. Just like that. And you know, that was the first time I think um, I, I was scared to do it, but I did it that time. Just no thinking behind it. And that was it. End of those two businesses. It's like a, a fast death did it all it's much better because you don't think about a lot of stuff but i think one of the things that happened to me um also helped me make the decision is i i think when i moved to us um i wanted to be successful you know i found this this small company building websites it became bigger than second company and i thought maybe less this is the way it is you just become successful by making a lot of money and um when my lung collapsed you know you expect people to show up to see you. Hey, how are you doing? And but I never had any friends because I was barely hanging out with people or finding new friends or making these relationships. And so since I didn't build any relationship, um, there's no one to come and see me when I was in the hospital. And it made me really realize that maybe I'm just doing something wrong. That money and the success is not bringing me anything. I'm not happy. And I'm sick and no one's there to see me. So I think so that was your aha moment that was, in bed. I really realized what's important. And I think what's important is, is people make you happy and people make you sad. And if that human connection is so important, why not focus on that? 
So I think letting those two businesses go and take my time to realize what I want to do next and start focusing on building those relationships with people uh, helped me. How did you go about starting to build those relationships after that moment? I just do nothing and meet people, (laughs) you know. Um, I, so my brother was here and, uh, I was very shy. I, I, I don't know how I'm doing this now today. I'm grateful for, uh, everyone who's helped me get here and he was here with me. Um, I was feeling better. And after six months, I wanted to go and meet people, uh, start to go to these networking events. I, so the first one I applied and I want to go there now and I just have no courage to do it. I just, I just can't get out. And my brother was here from India and he said, you know what? I mean, you signed up. At least just show up. Just just go. Just just at least just go and how about you come back? I said, that sounds like a deal. I just go and maybe stay for five, ten minutes and just come back. Just so meetups and conferences. <laughs> yeah, what are the meetups? It's the first meetup. And I go there and I'm standing, uh, just standing there. It's a rooftop, rooftop event. And um, I just had literally no courage to go up to someone and say, hey, hello, or what's up, or here's who I am. And then I waited for maybe 30 minutes, just walk around and I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm getting anxious. I'm getting nervous. I, I want to leave the room. I mean, <laughs> I want to leave the event. And then someone else kind of comes up to me. Hey, this is what my name is. And hey, how are you doing? And like, okay, I'm good. And we chatted for a while and then end up meeting other people. And I just reminded myself, it wasn't that bad. If they can do it, I can do it too. All I have to do is just, let's just go up and say, hey, that's all, <laughs> you know? And that was my first time getting out of my comfort zone to meet new people. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to a lot of events. I prefer one-on-ones and just building strong relationships. But the few ones I've done, it really taught me a lot of stuff. And from there, you built Rumi. And tell me about that process of raising money and you know going after, what is it, 300 plus investors. So it seems like there was that transition between being unable to say, hey, what's up, to getting constantly rejected. <laughs> yeah. You know, so what I, I think kind of goes back to uh, how I did it, is to my story of like moving to US. And when I first moved here, I was very shy. I had, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I just didn't know how to do anything. I think I talked about, I couldn't even go to a restaurant and order food. And I know it sounds crazy, but it is, it is, it's true. And so I made a promise to myself and uh, that was in 2007 that every time I'll be scared of doing something, I'll have to do it. It's like truth and dare. Mm. with me and myself, <laughs> just the, the two people. And um, so if I promise myself I have to do it, then I have to do it. That's the way I did that first event. And same thing with my fundraising. So starting Rumi, um, the idea kind of happened, you know, I was frustrated with finding roommates and I've had roommates and sharing homes. Why is no one trying to solve this shared housing problem? If young people are sharing more and more and they can't afford to live by themselves, why not build a company to help people do that? So I asked my friends, hey, how many of you live with roommates? I remember we had 25 people in a group and roughly 24 said yes. And I was like market tested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. And then it's how a massive many market. dislike their roommates or have issues? <laughs> yeah, I just asked like, I think, yeah, I think finding roommates is hard. Sharing your place is hard. It's all about sharing your home with other people. And so now I bootstrapped the company for two years. 2013 till 2015, roughly. 
And now it's time to raise some capital. I'm a solo founder. And um, I got my first introduction through, I was a mentor at Lean Startup Machine around 2014. And one of the, 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 the group I was mentoring and um, that person said, hey, you know, I have an investor, you should meet him. I said, okay, I took the first meeting, got rejected. And that, so from that investor, I started getting introductions and stalking people on mm-hmm. Twitter and then LinkedIn and AngelList. Did you have a pitch deck or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I had all of that stuff. And I was pitching, I had never pitched before. So I keep getting rejected and I think uh, it's the same process. I'd be scared, I don't know what to do, but I promised myself that I, I would just keep trying. How did you not take it personally? Uh, you know what, actually, uh, I think the only reason why I succeeded is just one reason I had no other option. Mm. I always reminded myself that there's no other option on the table. I can't leave. I, I, I don't know what to do because I'm here in this country by myself. The only option I would probably have is to go back home. I'm not going to go back. My, I'm not going to go back there. I'd probably die on the streets. So if I only had this one company that I believe in so much and I'm passionate about building and helping people find shared housing, then the only option I have to just become successful to do that. And so there's no other option. I, I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm not in school anymore. So I don't have money to, to go to school anymore. Um, and that just kept me alive and pushing me to do stuff. And when you finally closed your round, how much did you raise? What, how many meetings had you taken? Yeah, you know, I actually saved all the connections because someday someone asked me, oh, I don't know this guy, 350 meetings, I don't know. So I actually ended up creating an Excel sheet of everyone I, everyone I met, every investor. And now I manage them on Salesforce. Almost 350 people, and I would say after 350, that angel investor from Canada, my first investor, Matt, and he was like, you know what? You seem like a good guy. And I don't know if the business is going to ever work out, but <laughs> I believe in you, and here's 10K. Mm. And from that 10K, um, the first round I raised was around um, 700K and raise more capital. So our first seed round combined together was $6 million. Mm. And how big is your team now? And are you, you're in the midst of fundraising again? Yeah, so we are raising our Series A, wrapping it up. I can't share the details, but it's going to be a pretty big round. Very excited and uh, grateful to be here at, the, at this stage. So the team is now almost 40 people. Mm-hmm. From me now, 39. And uh, I have never managed a team that big before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a definitely exciting part. What's what are the biggest challenges right now managing that team? Um, I'd say everything, and especially culture. Um, I, I think that culture is something that keeps changing. It keeps evolving as you grow and you break it. It's like the things or the rules or the way you work. Um, it keeps changing because now you have other people contributing to your culture. Every human being is have their own opinion and beliefs and the way they work and all this stuff and they 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 contribute so culture is a is a tough one and i think uh second big one is just managing the team i have never managed a team of this size and i think i'm just constantly asking myself what is the best way to do it and i think we've found a really good way to do it now and it's based on people itself i know i went back and forth about maybe it's the fun culture maybe it's the autonomy maybe it's the 
not like Google type massage chairs and games and snacks and all this stuff. It's not bonuses. I think it's really about this one thing for at least us. And it's about your personal growth. Like I care about my personal growth. Everyone who joins a company cares about their own personal growth. They want to do better, you mm-hmm. know, and they want to definitely achieve success and uh, maybe join new companies and all this stuff. So if they are going to work with me at Rumi, why can't I help them succeed? And that means that how to design a culture where they succeed. If they succeed, then Rumi is going to succeed, then we're all going to succeed. And one day they can stay or they can leave, but they can say, you know what, I damn, I learned so much at Rumi. I got a better job because of Rumi. I am a better manager because of Rumi. So all these things because of this company. So why can you focus on, on that part in succeeding? So when you talk about succeeding, you put some rules in place, some processes in place, and then you allow them to create and innovate. What are some of those processes? So I think as long as people understand the goals and, and weekly check-ins and, and updates and how you deliver and how you ask for help and you fail and you tell your manager that, hey, I failed and can you help it? So if we do that just consistently working with our employees, uh, they'll tell you these things. And then we are setting up them, setting them up for success, not failure, because eventually they're going to succeed. And we do let them actually allow them to have full autonomy over the creation process, the innovation process. So I can tell you that the goal is to achieve this number. But how you do it, I'm not going to tell you that. Mm. You go and figure out. So now they feel that, okay, I do have some directions, but now I am free to do whatever I want to. And that way, we're not creating a complete, like you just decide your number and do everything by yourself. Because people do need direction because we have goals to meet as, as a venture back company and as a company. So I think, yeah, we found the model and it's starting to work now. And I'm pretty happy that it's working because I think it's working for me as well. Have you had to let anyone go? We've had churn. Um, it's a pretty strong company. And, you know, only a few people have either left or we have to let people go. And it's just that um, some people would fit in the culture at a certain stage, but they might not after mm-hmm. a certain stage, or they fit in an early stage, not later stage of growth stage. So I think it depends the stage of a company and how you make decisions and your goals and how you deliver. And if they keep changing, then some people would stay because they will fit in and some people won't. What were some of the difficult conversations you had to have? What were they like? Um, I think some of the difficult ones is around are that are priorities. It's like, um, you know, when you start a company and you raise money, sometimes you think, oh, let's do everything. Let's have a marketing team. Let's have an ops team. Let's have a biz dev team. Let's have a tech team. Of course, you need a tech team. But maybe you don't need any of it. Maybe what you have to do is just build a product, maybe focus on your customers, and I think that's what you're supposed to do. And now you have this team that you build because you thought the social media is going to be the ROI and then you're going to become famous and all the PR is going to bring you all the customers. And now you don't have those customers. Yes, PR is there. You are publishing news and you are getting featured, but what do you do with that? It's not for every business. And then you have to have these discussions that why you have to shift the strategy, why you have to maybe dissolve that team, maybe shift roles, maybe do something else. And these are tough discussions to, to have because I have failed. Mm-hmm. And you have to accept that. Yes, I believed that this is going to work out, but now I don't think it's going to work out. How will you know when you're successful enough? I think when people start using Rumi as a go-to place, I'll definitely know that. Um, I've had some really interesting conversations, actually. And 
I was coming from Atlanta, uh, I think two, three months ago, and I was in a flight and I was sitting next to someone um, just before landing. Um, we start chatting and I asked, hey, so I will bring you to New York. You're like, oh, I work here. And uh, okay. And somehow she ended up mentioning that she's also looking for a roommate. And I said, okay, so are you using any companies? She's like, yeah, I'm using this company XYZ and Rumi. And I said, what do you think? She's like, yeah, it's a, it's a new company, actually. They're pretty good. And like, yeah, if you need any help, here's my card. And my entire team have found people in Uber, in parties, in bars, in the streets, crazy. And people recognize their t-shirts and the brand. So I, I can see that it's actually happening. But when Ruby really becomes a go-to place to find shared homes and find roommates, I would definitely know that we're definitely successful. I'm a perfectionist for sure. And I've asked that question to myself a bunch of times. And I, you know, I think that it will be enough. And I wonder if you are similar to that. And because you say that when it becomes that icon, but do you have a feeling that perhaps it might never be enough? You know, I, I used to be like that, the perfectionist, um, doing my two companies, the first two companies, actually. And it didn't work out for me because um, I just so set on the way I wanted things to happen. And I think when you want things to happen your way, uh, there's almost like micromanaging things. And I'm like, you know what? I hired these people to do the work and make Rumi great and help customers and do what we're supposed to do. And if I am always controlling the process, how would they ever do it? You know, and one of my actually investors asked me a question. Um, do you trust your employees? And I said, yes. And he said, great. If you ever find yourself in a position where you don't trust your employees, you let them go. Because now you're going to get into the micromanaging part. Because if you don't trust them and, and you can't let them do what they're supposed to do, because they also believe in this thing and that's why they joined, because they also believe in the vision for what we do, then you, you're actually not helping them. So I think I've transitioned from controlling and perfectionist to now someone who's big on delegating, actually. Mm. And I found my balance, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm still the perfectionist on the side that as long as they know the goals and what they're supposed to do, I am very happy. Now, you go and do it. I'm never going to be involved. So I found that balance of like innovation. They can, they're free to do what they have to do. And there's some sort of like discipline and some sort of processes around that. We have to achieve these goals because that's how we're going to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you apply that trust test to your friendships and relationships as well? I do. Every time you question, I question things. I'm like, do I trust him? If I don't trust him, why am I around them? And uh, either you have to talk to them and figure out these things. But yeah, because, you know, you're using so much negative energy when you don't trust people or, or things and, and processes or work. I don't have to put myself through all of that. Mm. You know, I just want to be happy. I want to be just do my job and I want to enjoy my life. And I want to cultivate a lot of negative energy inside my body. So outside of work, what, what does enough look like to you? Enough work? Enough, like, what does a, a life well lived, um, a, a good enough life where you can, you know, one day get to your grave and be like, that was good. That was good enough. <laughs> you know? <laughs> To be honest, I think um, when I when I was bootstrapping Rumi, I was living on like a ten dollar budget, 
And I'd have to always look at my bank account before I go to a shop and buy food or buy something else. I didn't shop for like two years to shop any for like new clothes or shoes or whatever. And at one point I didn't have any laptop. I was working out of like library, like the New York library. I used that free computer. And only thing I wanted is I'll be successful and very happy if I can go to a restaurant. I like to eat food <laughs> and just go in and take out my car and hey, here's what it is and I can afford that, <laughs> that meal. That's enough. That's really enough, I think. And I think now it's, it's that and spending time with my family and friends and loved ones. That is enough for me. What's your favorite restaurant? <laughs> actually, You know, actually, I love Mexican food. Uh, there's this tiny place, uh, Oaxaca, Dakaria in Park Slope. It's uh, the tacos are amazing. Mm. I, I love that place. Yeah. Who are some of the most influential people in your life who have really helped define who you are today? I think my family, um, but I know a lot of people, <laughs> you know, a lot of founders and my board members and investors. Um, I think all of them, actually, one of my, one of my board members, actually, um, he's also my investor and advisor now, Kevin Quinn. He's helped me a lot. I think he's, he used to be the co-head and a partner at Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. So he ran the show for a long time very successful guy and I think he's just so calm and I think people say about Kevin he's at his best when things are at their worst that means if something is going really bad uh, you freak out you get anxious you get angry but he's chill and calm and just mm -hmm. thinking and taking deep breaths and trying to figure out what to do and I aspire to be like that I think listening and just taking your time and not be bothered or moved by the situation or the moments that you're having, I think, something I do mm. in that position. That's definitely something that I've been actively working on recently when, yeah, when shit hits the fan. Right. And <laughs> you're like, let me just step back and and almost take this bird's eye view of what's happening because you, it's like you let these things go and they're going to pass as they will. And how do I not get embroiled into these tiny almost details or things that will eventually become inconsequential because things events will just pass. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like you have to separate yourself from the actual situation, mm -hmm. you know? And I think he's helped me a lot in you know, Kevin Quinn. And I think the, the most important person that's actually helped me is my better half, mm -hmm. you know, Brittany. And uh, we've been through a lot <laughs> and she's always asked me the hardest questions, the questions that, no one else would ask me, and I think she would put me in a position, a difficult position. And recently, she asked me a question. I want to actually go over that just to see how she's made me a better person. Is um, running a company and of this size, like forty people, it's not that big, but I have never managed a team that big. And uh, I want to build a culture where my employees can talk to me and be happy. And that's why you work together because you want to be happy and you are passionate and you work for something. And she asked me, asked me this thing. What if tomorrow uh, you have nothing? You don't have it. You don't have no roomie, the fame, or whatever you have. No funding, no investors. He's just a regular guy. So let's say Rumi dies or something happens, right? And you end up you walking on the street and you run into one of your employees, the past employees. How would you want them to treat you? And I'm like, damn, this is like a a really good question because it really made me think. Actually, I want them to just treat me. 
like a friend or like someone they respect and say, you know what? Damn, dude, we had a great time. We had a great run. And thank you so much for everything. And we can go and grab a beer, maybe food or just hang out, just walk. Now, like, damn, that's like a nasty guy like who just made my life miserable. or I was unhappy there, blah, blah, blah. And that made me realize that I have to build a culture that's, that where people can feel that way. That means you can still build a company and you can still manage your employees and all that stuff without being that nasty person. And, and you can bring happiness to your, your company. So she asks you all those tough questions. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the toughest questions always go back to how do you feel and how do you make other people feel? Because at the end of the day, that's all we have. It's our own reality. And we enter other people's realities by making them feel a certain way. And then they will perceive it in however way they want. So, so that's, I, I admire that that's one of your focuses in your culture. I mean, you have to be. I think I asked my company, what is the best thing about Rumi? And you'll always hear the same answer. I love working with people here. And that, like, wow. It's like, and I go to work because I also love working with everyone. And if we are miserable and not happy and still achieving our goals and results, then what's the point? Why are we here? Why are we building a company that makes people unhappy and miserable? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that. It's like, it's the same thing I think I talk about. I think we've, we've had discussions. When I moved to US, I've been working for now over a decade. And I can remember my past 10 years and I haven't done anything. I was just constantly working. And I did enjoy my college life. I didn't make a lot of friends or maybe went out for maybe skiing, maybe party. I don't know anything. <laughs> and now I do. I'm getting back in the game and learning all these new things and, and enjoying relationships and friends and people, all this stuff. And I regret. I, I really, I think I'm definitely successful today. And whatever I do and successful what I do today is like because of those the sacrifice I've made. But at the same time, I feel that I've, I've wasted my life, <laughs> you know, to be here today. But it's a tough discussion. But I think that I now want to enjoy what I do and with the people that I work with. I mean, you're what, 30 now? Turning 30 in two months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Still okay. under 30. <laughs> yeah, still under 30. I mean, I think, I mean, especially also coming from a, a fellow under 30-year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I definitely, you know, I went through gymnastics and 10 years of nonstop training, six to nine hours a day, constant working, didn't go to any social events until I was maybe 20. And I finally went to college. And I I definitely fall into that trap of feeling like, my God, time is running out. And like, I didn't, I didn't do enough. And I, I lost this whole period of my life, because I didn't make those connections. But I think there's, you know, there's a long way to go. (laughs) <laughs> long way to go and they're all connected you know i kind of go back to the uh the steve jobs uh commencement speech at stanford um and he talked about you can only connect the dots backward yeah so i i just i'm grateful i'm very grateful all the time that i can connect those dots i think it happened for a reason i, I it makes sense to me mm-hmm. i wouldn't get here today i'll be here if i didn't invest my time and sacrifice those 10 years mm. when you Look back eventually and you think about your legacy. Um, give me a couple sentences of what people will say. I worked hard. <laughs> the hustle. I think, I think there's one thing I'm trying to do, and I think is that, you know, I'm, I'm not from U.S. You know, I wasn't born here. And coming from India, um, 
someone who's from you know minority, and I think I had to work hard. You know, three fifty meetings and rejections, and now we're here. I still get rejected, and uh, working extremely hard. I think I'm just trying to believe that I can do it, and if I can do it, then anyone can do it. And I think that's why I keep working hard because there's going to be so many people from within this country and other countries that are going to come here and go some to other places. And they have great ideas, and they can give back, they can help, and they can build big businesses and all that stuff. But you need to set examples that you can actually do it. Mm-hmm. And that'd be something I can. I'm, I'm, all of my investors they know me as the hustler, mm-hmm. and that I hustle and I'm scrappy, and I think uh, I enjoy being the underdog. Yeah. I actually love being the underdog. I think mm-hmm. I would always want to be that guy because it always just pushes you to do better mm-hmm. and work harder than other people. I feel that working hard. It's like if you ask someone that, what is the, like, what is the, the difference or maybe that one thing that makes you successful or not successful, right? And I think it's you don't die. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you're passionate and you have resources and you don't have resources, I think if you can survive long enough as a company, you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm as long as you're not building your own thing. <laughs> mm. There's no one buying or using your services and nothing is happening like a dead end. Yeah, don't, don't please keep doing the same things. Yeah. But if this is working and all it requires more time and maybe more time to make people believe that you're working on the right things and this is something that's going to work, you just make sure you survive. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I say is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So I, I definitely that. think that. And I, I mean, we've spent weekends whiteboarding for yep. six hours on a Sunday when no one I'm else here is there. Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And second thing is what I've learned is like quick death. If it's over, it's over. It's over. Yes. And cut the toxic cords. I, I've had way too many experiences where I feel like something's not right or the relationship's not right. And you just want to salvage it. You're like, but I invested so much in this already. I can't bear to cut it. And you always, when it does eventually die, you're like, wish I had just cut it sooner. <laughs> I feel that I, I, I can relate to that actually. I mean, two businesses and things happen in my life. I, I, I say the same things. I wish I did this earlier and I could have saved some time and do something else, but you just live and learn. Well, great. The last thing we do for all of these podcasts is we go to the one thing and the one thing comes from this idea that it only takes one voice or one moment, one person, just one thing to completely change someone's life or someone's perspective. And uh, we're going to find out some of your one things and in 30 seconds for each. You ready? Yes. One thing. What's your favorite book that you would unhesitatingly recommend and why? Um, Zen and the art of happiness. Uh, why? Because that book helped me get through everything. It talks about just one simple thing. Everything that happens in any given moment is the best thing that can ever happen to you. What's one superpower that you have? Hustle. I don't give up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yell the hustle. One question you wish people would ask each other more. Um, I think it's really about like, why are you building this business? I think it's like the, the true to yourself. Sometimes you might be building something and you don't believe in it and you're going to give up one day. If you really sit down and ask yourself and other people, why are you really doing this thing? And if the answer is the right answer, you're going to keep going on. Mm. What is one thing in the world you would change? 
Uh, I would change. Um, they say that you know the talent is everywhere, but opportunities are limited. I think giving people access to opportunities is something that we want to change. It's like I don't have to go for three fifty rejections to be here. Yeah. Just just believe in me and maybe find a way to help and give back and all this stuff. If I wish I had that access. Yeah. So that's even from coming from a minority point of view. From a- yeah. You know, I I think I I really think that I could have done better if I was not a minority. Mm. And what's one piece of advice you want to leave the audience with? Uh, I always say this thing that before starting something in your life, you just have to remind yourself it's going to be a long way and just be prepared. And finally, this podcast is about enoughness and really getting over that hump and being like, you know what, good enough. I can just go and do what I want. So what's one challenge that you want to leave the audience with that they could go out and do today that could shift their perspective, their life, or just change their day? Um, I always ask myself, is this, I mean, I question myself every single day. Am I a good manager? Is this the way you run a company? Is this the way you set a process? Uh, why am I not getting maybe massive VCs back in my company? <laughs> why am I expanding way too fast? And all these things, right? And maybe do I have the right answers? I I don't go to Ivy League schools. I'm not even a graduate, right? And I'm like, but I do ask myself this one thing. It's like, does it really matter? If I can keep moving on, even with all these issues and problems and the questions I have in my head, if I keep moving on, can I make an impact? And the answer is yes. I am making an impact today. I am employing these people. I am changing their lives and my life. I am actually helping these over a million users we have on Rumi. So I am making an impact. It might not be the right way. I might not be the best guy to do it, but I actually am doing it. So doing something is better than not doing it. Mm-hmm. So you can even have all these confusion by yourself that you might not be the right person, but as long as you're making an impact, just keep moving on. You figure mm-hmm. out. So the question I should be asking myself is, does it matter? Does it matter? Yes. You know, you simplified it. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> doesn't matter. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much. I want to give um, you a chance to tell the audience how they could get in touch with you, whether socially or personally, and um, you know, what they could ask you about. Um, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. So my name is A-J-A-Y, and my last name, Y-A-D-A-V. V is in Victor, <laughs> not a B. Or you can get in touch with me on Twitter, just my last name. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I created the Enoughness podcast to reveal the real stories behind the leaders we admire, to address this universal question that we all have at some point or another. Am I good enough? So just remember that you're not on this journey alone and that you do have the power of enoughness. If you want the full show notes and transcript from today's episode, go to www.lisawang.co slash podcast. Again, that's lisawang.co slash podcast. And you'll be able to follow along. I'd love if you could leave a review or tag anything that you share on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag enoughness. And you can find me at LisaWorks, L-I-S-A-W-O-R-X on Twitter or Instagram. Catch you in the next episode.